2: and enjoy.
0: Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on play day.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. did not, why did that not start? I, I stopped saying my episode number at 100 <laughs> and
2: yeah, no, I don't blame you. All right, this is episode number 92. Oh, of course, my internet connection's unstable, these motherfuckers. Um, it, I got Justin Campbell with me today. Did I say that right?
0: Hey, Campbell, who like the soup.
2: Okay, right on. Um, we're going to have a lovely conversation, and we may have another person join us. We'll see what happens. I think he's still sleeping, but that's all right. Um, I kind of wanted to do a show on abortion because it's such a charged topic and everybody hates each other over it but um i kind of wanted to dive into some of the stats and some different ideas surrounding it so um i guess first things first uh justin um how are you doing and what is your position on abortion
0: i'm doing good and i am All right, so like we were talking about before we started, there is a degree of nuance to pretty much every conversation that's had. I am definitely more pro-life than anything. I understand very rare and specific situations, but once we start getting into the numbers, like, it becomes very apparent how rare and specific those situations are. So like, that's, that's where I'm definitely more pro-life than anything. Um, Like, I think it should be a, a last, a last option. Mm. Uh, if like, i I'm, I hate the idea of s- the state having a huge say and control over it. Like it should be a, this should be a, a decision that's left between doctors and, and the, the mother um, mm. or the birthing person, whatever you want to call them. But <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think the state should be in charge of it, but I also don't disagree with the limitations that are being put out on it. Um, especially like, like the Mississippi and the Texas and now Oklahoma and all the number of other States that have uh, varying degrees of what they call abortion bans. But it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it is a bill that lays out the guidelines of what's acceptable.
2: Mm-hmm. So, right. So I've, I've considered myself to be very, very pro-life. And um, I guess I'm pretty fervent and adamant in my decision to be that way. Um, The way that I've kind of looked at it, and I've been this way kind of since I found out and kind of think through the issue, um, I believe you are responsible for your actions. And when it comes to sex, that is no different. Um, If you have sex with someone voluntarily and you – you know, the potential results of that. So the collateral should not be a dead baby because you don't want to take responsibility for what you did. We all understand that when you have sex, once again, that is the potential, um, Result of that. So you should be very, very careful when you have sex. And there's so many ways to prevent a pregnancy that I just don't see abortion as a viable thing. Now, when we start getting into unviable pregnancies, and if it's going to be a threat to the mother, then in my opinion, and I'm sure some people would disagree with this, um, I think the mother's life takes agency over that of a non-viable pregnancy. So if the baby is not going to be viable to term, then I think it's okay to you know, spare the mother's life in that situation. If once again, the pregnancy is not viable. Now we start getting into, let's say the baby has down syndrome or something like that. I still think you should have to carry that you know, birth to term. Um, now the problem kind of gets into how do we enforce this in a ideal libertarian fashion? Well, right now, we kind of have this cultural view that abortion is okay because it's a woman's body. It's a woman's choice. Well, in my opinion, it's no longer the woman's body when you are now pregnant because that is a body in and of itself. So it's morally wrong to kill that baby Because once again, you chose to lay down and sleep with somebody, and then this is the result of that. You are responsible for that. And even when it comes to drunk sex, even though you may not fully comprehend at the time, you still consented to getting drunk. Now, when we get down to rape as well, this is something I'm very uncomfortable with, but it's kind of where I default to. I think if you were in the unfortunate situation of a rape And you were impregnated during that, then I think it's okay to abort that child as soon as possible. Not like you're six months down the line and then you decide, oh, well, I don't want this anymore. It should be as soon as you can, you get rid of that because that was not your choice. So you shouldn't have to carry that to term. And people could disagree with that. It's not something that I'm 100% married to that solution. But that's just kind of, to me, the most consistent take, because I don't think you should have to carry something to term that you did not voluntarily accept. So th- those are kind of some of my loose thoughts around that. Um, where do you see that? And do you disagree with any of uh, my takes?
0: No, I actually, <clears throat> you hit on a lot of the statistical problems that I have with the big arguments mm-hmm. in favor of abortion that are always made. Like Anytime you see a, an abortion ban, that's put in place, you always get the arguments that, well, all of these, what about all of these women who it's going to be a risk to their health and they might die in childbirth? What about the unviable pregnancies that the baby's not going to make it anyway? What about all the rape victims? When you get into the statistics of it, you start really looking at that, uh, those are negligible at best. Like Mm -hmm. the, the numbers, the numbers where those are concerned, uh, I can't remember the exact percentages, but it, um, it's, it's in the single digits. And I think it's like maybe 1% or less are rape, uh, somewhere in that similar percentage is unviable pregnancy or, uh, detrimental to the mother. Like it's incredibly low statistical numbers that, that those are cases in fact uh like you sent all these or you sent several articles that have a whole lot of stats in them like Mm -hmm. the overwhelming majority of it really boils down to i made a bad choice and i'm not happy with my (laughs) like i'm not happy with my decision to Mm -hmm. have sex with that person like that you know personal responsibility and accountability has to come into it which i mean that's that's the downfall of our modern society is nobody has any accountability for anything that they do. And, and this is, this is just like an extreme continuation of that. So, so that's why I look at stuff like, like what you're saying for, for like the rape victims and if they're going to do it, they need to do it as quickly as possible. That's why I'm not opposed to things like the the Texas heartbeat bill, because Mm -hmm. there should be, there should be a limit that's put on it. Like, once you've made it to this point and like your decision has been made, um, you're, that you're going to carry on with this or I, I don't know. Um, I don't want to say like you were negligent to the point of mm-hmm. not finding out that you were like, I'm not sure how soon that starts to become a, uh, a thing that's noticeable, mm-hmm. but like, there should be some sort of a, a statute of limitations. And, and so that's, I, I agree with you pretty much on, on all of that. Like, it needs to be a decision that's made very quickly in those cases where it's not, it wasn't a personal choice. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, I mean, personal accountability and responsibility are, should be the, the key things in this discussion.
2: Right. And and like I said, that's kind of always the way that I've looked at it. And women, you know, (laughs) women don't typically engage men when it comes to dating and to relationships. So men obviously have to decide to commit, but women ultimately decide to spread their legs. (laughs) Um, And we'll kind of get into these articles a little bit, but statistically, it is mostly because poor decisions. And I think um, some of the articles said like a quarter of all women will experience an abortion and i really don't think there's many people out there straight up advocating like oh yes we're trying to make more abortions but i think the reason why so many women do is because we've culturally deemed it acceptable for women to do this and they're conditioned to believe that it's okay to abort your child because um we have a lot of social conventions surrounding women and making women happy, right? We, you know, essentially, I always tweet this out, but, you know, woman good, man bad, where it's always, you know, single mother, or um, they always say fatherless homes, because, you know, men should be accountable for this. But this also isn't too completely relieve men of their duties. Because look, if you're a man, you are morally obligated to take care of a child if you impregnate a woman. That's the way I think it should be. But um, I think the abortion issue is largely largely a cultural issue where it's just because culturally we have not taught women that, hey, you should be very, very careful with who you sexually reproduce with. And men, you need to be careful where you go and where you put that thing. (laughs) Because that's an obligation on your part. If you're going to have sex, then you need to understand that a child is going to be a result of that. And my fiance and I have been together now for going on four years um, in September. And we both agreed very, very early on, if she gets pregnant, then there is no abortion. Look, we understand that I'm responsible for that. She's responsible for that. And we both you know, consented to making a child at one point or another because we've been together for this long. So I, I think it needs to be more of a approach as a cultural issue, not as a political issue like it is. But the problem is, is that it can become a political issue and it becomes a good kind of bludgeon to beat your opposition with and say, look, they're not for choice for women. So I can nail this dude to the wall and say he wants to remove choice from women. And when you say that, it's very effective because it, it gets an emotional response from women, particularly, and women can say, You want to take my choice away. Well, it's not that, it's just that conservatives often don't often don't explain it as this is responsibility and accountability. And to some people that's appealing, but to other people it's not. But when you have this government that wrenches, you know, resources over people, then it's very easy to kind of just say, hey. This is my choice, so we're going to have conventions and laws against this or that, so you need to vote for me, so that way I give you your choice back, rather than saying, hey, we're going to allow you to be free and responsible for your actions. So those are uh, some of my continued thoughts.
0: Well, and an interesting thing. Because we've both used that word choice a number mm-hmm. of times, but that's kind of been abandoned as far as the, uh, the preferred narrative goes. It's, it's now women's reproductive health or women's reproductive rights or, mm-hmm. or just women's health in general. Like it, it, gets in, it gets lumped into this larger category of just women's health. So if you support the, the Texas uh, heartbeat bill, mm-hmm. then you are anti-women's health rights. Like that's that's it. It's not. It's not even about. It's not even about the child in any way. It's right. entirely about that. And it's like you said. It is. It is a political ploy. Um, if you look at voting demographics, uh, women vote. Um, I don't know that women vote at a higher percentage than men, but it's pretty damn close. Hmm. And. Women tend to vote for Democrats because Democrats all those appropriate buzzwords to create this uh, image that that they support women's health mm-hmm. the that overarching umbrella of women's health, not just freedom of choice or or whatever. So it's it it's a uh, it's a game that's being played with propaganda and the correct language and uh it's really dirty (laughs) but like that that's 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 where it is culturally because they know who their base is and they know how to best came to their base it also all right so not to come across racist, but if you Mm -hmm. look at the demographics blacks or african-americans are one of the highest percentages in the abortion categories yeah and they also predominantly vote democratic so it gets it gets lumped into that um this is anytime there's an abortion ban or something like that it's it goes against the lower class the working class the the single moms they they use all those right buzzwords to to make sure that it seems like anything that promotes uh pro any like a pro-life Stance that is an attack on women and poor people and minorities.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, so it can be like it, it can be uh, almost violently politicized to attack anybody who's in favor of of these types of bills. Right. Even in, even in like even in like a situation like the the Mississippi abortion bill, it effectively takes a similar stance as most of the free world other than like China and North Korea and some like extreme communist countries, the 15 week uh, cutoff on is what the Mississippi abortion bill put in place. Mm -hmm. That is almost par for the course with the entire rest of the free world. But somehow that was this like wild attack on low income and minorities.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's very effective the way that the political
2: left has kind of weaponized this issue because, as we've been kind of circling this entire conversation, it's very, very emotional, right? So, when you charge it with you're attacking women's rights, when you're attacking women's choice. Um, it's very, very effective to silence your opposition because now they're starting way in the negative because now you have to say, no, I'm not taking away people's choice, right? You put people way back. And this is why the political left has been so effective is because they're very good at kind of getting your emotions, right? And when it comes to men and women, men and women operate differently, right? Where And this isn't putting down women, but if you think more instinctually and more back to kind of our roots, Um, women kind of analyze things differently, where they're going to be very emotional at first, because they need to be very emotional when it comes to children, right? I need to be very reactionary, because something negative could affect my child and my potential to go on to the next generation. Whereas men, we have to kind of process threats And think a little bit more rationally first. Let's not say women don't think rationally, but it's to say that we need to think about how we're going to provide for our family, and that's what typically attracts, you know, makes women attracted to men is men's ability to provide. Whereas women, once again, need to think about their immediate and be very reactionary and emotional, so that way they can think of different ways to protect their immediate collective, right? So when you charge it with emotion, it's very easy to weaponize women against the pro-life argument. And I know it's a long-winded way to say that just women have to think emotionally very quickly. So when, once again, you say, I'm going to take away your choice by, you know, putting in a pro-life kind of bill, then it's very, very easy to just say, you know, hey, we're for women and women's reproductive health because we want women to have the choice Whereas it's almost harder for libertarians or conservative people who are pro-life to say, we believe you have agency and responsibility, so we're actually more in favor of you having more choice, but we're just saying that this is your responsibility, right? We believe in a free market and without the force of government, you would be responsible enough to not need these things.
0: Right. Your choice should have come into play before there was another living person involved
2: right right so um do you have any other kind of initial thoughts before we start kind of diving into some of these articles
0: no let's get after it
2: cool all right well let's do a little share screen here um all right can you see that all right yeah there it is cool yeah so you sent me this one and this was a a reuters fact check um fact check california's reproductive health bill leads to misinterpretation online um I guess I'll let you kind of take it away from here. I'll read the uh, first paragraph, but I guess before we start diving in, um do you want to kind of give any initial thoughts on this and how you think it relates to the topic that we're discussing?
0: Uh, so so the big the big buzzword around this was the infanticide bill, infanticide bill. And like that was what really got this whole thing kicked off. Um, it is something that you have seen it. Be pushed a little bit with, I, I think it was Virginia that had like up to the minute of birth abortion was. Uh, they had a bill that I, I don't think it ever actually went into effect, but they tried to get it. They tried to get it passed a couple of years ago. Um, I think New York has done similar things. Like the the incredibly progressive uh, states are are pushing this kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it's something that that has been. Kind of deemed a, a right-wing conspiracy theory that that they're going to just allow straight-up baby murder at some point, and so that's where that's where this bill um, really made made waves as far as once it came out and the wording of it. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you read the first paragraph, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of talk about what what the bill says and what the bill doesn't say and Mm -hmm. and uh i'm my show is the fact check this podcast i hate the fact checkers uh so so i'm gonna i'm gonna go after reuters a little bit but they this this isn't a terrible fact check especially all things considered uh when you look at fact checkers in the in the mainstream
2: sure so um as this was posted April fifth, twenty twenty two. We've been trying to uh, get this podcast going for a couple of weeks, but I know we had a little bit of scheduling conflicts. So uh, um, it's it's still pretty relevant, I think, because we're recording this uh, May first. So the first paragraph says a newspaper article suggesting a proposed California reproductive health bill would legalize the maternal killing of newborn babies. A claim that quickly spread on social media where users claim the bill would legalize infanticide misinterpreted the bill. Experts told Reuters, the California assembly member who introduced the bill filed amendments to further clarify the language used. I
0: love how they always call it a reproductive health
2: Mm -hmm. right and and as we were kind of circling at the beginning of the show um they really engineer the language to make it sound as innocent as possible i think that's the best way i could kind of shape it up and lay it out um whenever it comes to any political issue typically the left the thing that they're in favor of they're going to speak it in a way that makes it very you know not sound as bad as it does, but um, to kind of tap on a uh, different but relevant subject, the whole libs of TikTok thing, right? It's really, really funny because when you listen to a podcast or a conversation, you get emotionally engaged with it, right? You listen to the people that are speaking and it's easy to kind of separate yourself from the grand you know, the grand narrative because you're listening to the speakers and you're involved in that conversation. Well, when you're not involved in that conversation and sometimes you just put out the context or uh, something just completely out of context, you realize how insane some shit is when you aren't engaged in that conversation. So that's why Libs of TikTok has been so effective. And they kind of do the same thing with the abortion conversation as we're having right now. Um, Do you kind of see the same thing?
0: Yeah, and because like you're saying, like when it is out of context and and even for those, like, even when those are in context, Mm -hmm. um, when you get the entire context, they're not much better, but like that's that soundbite quality of it is like really kind of a shock and all thing that, that really makes people kind of turn their head and go, wait, did they actually just say that? So, so yeah. And, and they do such a good job of creating the narrative and, Mm -hmm. Like using the words the reproductive health bill, mm-hmm. they they really go out of their way to avoid the word abortion. Um, like that's right. that's something that they've kind of been doing over the last several years. Like I, you know, like we were talking about before, like they've kind of they've kind of gone away from the the pro-choice language because mm-hmm. that is directly associated with abortion and pro-life and and everything else. And they've started to use more of the the women's health, the reproductive health. So yeah, they they paint their narrative really well, and they. Mm-hmm. And they do, cre- they create their context. So, so when you get to hear those, like, just, uh, those harsh sound bites, and it's like, holy shit. Uh, I think that is a good thing because, because it kind of helps to, to pull it out of that narrative and, mm-hmm. and shine a light on what's actually being said and what's really being talked about. Uh, All
2: right. Cool. Um, So anyways, continuing on, uh, the online Miami standard story ran with the headline, California introduces new bill that would allow mothers to kill their babies up to seven days after birth. Um, did you, you said you kind of read the bill a little bit thoroughly. Uh, do you kind of have anything to elaborate on from that sentence?
0: So, so that's like the, the most extreme take on it. Um, (laughs) it's and we'll get into it as we go through the fact check here Mm -hmm. that's not exactly that's not exactly right um but it does it does open up some avenues where the uh it's not exactly illegal
1: Mm
0: -hmm. either if that makes sense (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. So they basically what you're saying is they just kind of leave a lot of gray areas and right. areas up and yeah up for the, or up for interpretation. Do um, you have anything else to add? No. Go ahead. Cool. Um, it refers to the bill as an infanticide bill that would legalize the murder of children up to nine months gestation and in the weeks after birth. Um, a Twitter post sharing a screenshot of the article had over six thousand reactions and reads. A tsunami of evil is sweeping the West. I can't even begin to comprehend the depths of this depravity. Another wrote, I can't wrap my head around this. Is this for real or some sick joke or fake news? So um, here is just kind of the tweets they were talking about in this paragraph. Um, Shared the article that says California introduces new bill that would allow mothers to kill their babies up to seven days after birth. Um, Same deal with, um, you know, what they kind of laid out there. Um, just kind of showing some of the reactions that people are having on Twitter. Um, I will link this in the show notes for people listening. If you're watching on YouTube, then you can kind of see what we're talking about. Um, the bill introduced by California Member Buffy Wicks is available to read in full here. Um, anything to kind of go on from anything uh, the right next,
0: there? Uh, the next paragraph is where we're really going to kind of get into the – start getting into the meat of what the bill is actually about.
2: Okay. The part of the bill that is generating the most concern is Section 7A, which reads, Notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights based on their actions, omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stole birth, or abortion, or perinatal death and you see that's very very redundant and I kind of hate the way that they lay out laws and stuff like that because I understand that to be very very specific but like when you're that specific it almost takes away just because it's so redundant and for the average person they don't understand it because it's so redundant they throw so many words in there that all kind of mean the same thing but also could be lost in the language where some people may not look at it the same way as another. So um, do you want to comment on that? Or do you want me to kind of keep reading and we kind of continue on?
0: Yeah, let's keep going. Cause the, the perinatal death is where it's uh, is where this bill really got the most attention. Mm-hmm. And, and there needs to be some explanation given on what that means, um, mm-hmm. which which Reuters does actually do a pretty good job of in this in this fact check. So we're going to we'll talk about that.
2: Cool. Um, The worry for several readers and commentators online is the language around perinatal death, which for some which some fear exempts parents from prosecution for murder. One Twitter user quoting this section here wrote, here is a worrying part. Um, And then here someone tweeted, um, any fetus or very young baby would go to the coroners. If a mother did indeed kill a baby, then no evidence could be used in a court of law because it would be excluded under this bill. Um, And then someone replied, said, here's a worrying part. I have to assume no one really understood the bill, but took someone else's word for it. I don't know, should we, let me see if this works to open it and then we can kind of look at the picture. Okay, I had my DMs. <laughs> There's nothing bad in there, don't worry. Okay, so, okay, yeah, notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to or... Rece- okay, we already read that, so I guess it doesn't really matter. Um. Okay, any comments? Or uh, do you just want to keep rolling?
0: We're, yeah, we're, we're getting we're getting to it.
2: Okay, a representative for Wix quoted her as saying the online claims... Quote, anti-abortion activists are peddling an absurd and disingenuous argument that this bill is about killing newborns when, ironically, the part of the bill they're pointing to is about protecting and supporting parents experiencing grief of pregnancy loss, end quote. And another quote, no person should face prison time for a tragic pregnancy outcome. And this bill would ensure that prosecutions and investigations have no place in reproductive health care. So this kind of gets back to what you were saying and what we were saying prior to kind of diving in on this, that they're always shaping this in health care, not choice or abortion. It's a very, very sleek shifting of the dialogue
0: and language. Um, do you want to comment? OK, yeah. So So this is where we're going to because they're, um, WICs put forward an, an amendment to clarify the language. So this mm-hmm. is where it was really the infanticide bill thing was uh, a little bit of a, an extreme step. Sure. What the bill was effectively saying was that up to a week or two, I think it, I think it was actually 11 days or 14 days. I can't remember uh, the exact number of days, but... After the birth of the child, if something were to happen where the child dies for some reason, then the mother would not be held accountable in a court of law for uh, murdering the child. The reason that that was problematic was that it's like, okay, so um, if she gets postpartum depression and decides to drown the baby in the bathtub, she's not going to be held accountable for that. If she just decides she doesn't want the kid and leaves it laying, you know, locks it in a room and starves it to death, she's not going to be held accountable for that. Like, there was a lot of, there, there's a lot of problematic things there that, that obviously, like, they don't necessarily mean, like, the baby's born and then you decide, okay, I don't want this and you bash it over the head with a hammer. But, like, pregnancy-related things that come within the first couple weeks, um, you know, mothers go through crazy shit, their body is changing and, and they've got a a baby and, you know, life has just been flipped on its head. So the, the, the concern was that this is just going to be like a, a free pass that you can do whatever you want. And if your baby dies over the next two weeks, well, that's unfortunate, but you're not going to be held accountable for it. So mm-hmm. what what we're about to get to is um, the clarification and mm-hmm. where they have put forth an amendment to make the wording more clear. And there is also, uh, we don't necessarily have to go through the whole article. I can kind of paraphrase it, but th- sure. there is additional uh, explanation as to what, <laughs> what this particularly means because it it sounds really bad, especially when you just look at that and you uh, look at it on its face and you're like, okay, so mothers of newborns can just do whatever they want. And if the kid dies, then they have zero repercussion for that. Like that's, that is really a bad precedent to set. So they, they do come back and, and they do uh, kind of correct that to, to, uh, to a large extent, actually.
2: Sure. So, um, I want to make sure this is kind of clear for people. So, when they made this bill, initially it did say that you could essentially be free from accountability for anything that would happen to your kid, like a week or two after the kid was born, more
0: or less. Uh, not in not in so blunt a language, but more or less, yeah.
2: Okay. All right. Well, then I'll keep reading on. Jeez, that's that's insanity. The representative said Wix filed amendments to the bill on Monday to further clarify the language and clear up misinterpretations that perinatal deaths meant anything other than mothers losing their babies due to pregnancy-related causes. Um, The amendment would change the wording of Section 7A to read, notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights under this article based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome including miscarriage stillbirth abortion or perinatal death due to a pregnancy related cause okay so they added the due to a pregnancy related cause
0: right so if so if say there was there were complications with the birth say there mm-hmm. were complications with the pregnancy itself say there's something like severely wrong with the child you know if it's something that is directly related to the pregnancy <clears> that you know, is like a course of nature type occurrence, then there is a, uh, there will be no liability for the mother. Mm-hmm. It's, and they go on to clarify, which is a, a couple lines down, like California penal code state's murder is the unlawful killing of a human being or a fetus with malice aforethought. Like they make sure to, to clarify that like, if if the mother deliberately does something to the child, then they're going to be held accountable for it. It's And, and that's by adding that pregnancy-related cause. And I think there was some other uh, wording changes throughout it that, that, that really clean it up and, and make sure that it's uh, relatively well-defined, that mm. it has to be something that's directly related to the pregnancy itself, the childbirth, like it can't just be, um, it can't just be negligence or direct action on the ca- on on the on the part of, of the mother following mm-hmm. childbirth. Like there, it has to be something that's directly related to the pregnancy, where that there will be no liability or or uh, criminal uh, criminal penalty taken against against the mother. So, they they do. They do clean it up and, and make it. The problem was, it was very subject to interpretation mm-hmm. of the jury, or the or the judge, or the court, whatever, wherever it ends up going. Like in the event that, say, a mother does have postpartum and drowns her baby, well, then the court can decide, hey, that was a uh, that was a pregnancy related type thing, and. Uh, not have any liability. So right. the the amendments and the way they've kind of re-clarified it, it, it cleans a lot of that up and and makes it a little more. Uh, I'm sure that this was probably the original intent. You know, I mean, this is California, so <laughs> maybe not, but uh, I'm sure this was the original intent and the way it was worded was a poor choice or just an oversight on um you've seen the the meme of if uh, if boys and girls had a time machine like the boys would go back and say rewrite the second uh holding up the constitution that the bill of rights they would say rewrite the second like you're talking to a five-year-old i think like to this uh to that extent like this bill was you should have written it like you were talking to a five-year-old and like they left out some, they left out some language that should have been in there to make like really abundant clarification. And, and a lot of that's been corrected. So, um, am I happy with the, the bill itself? I don't like that there is the, uh, the inclusion of or abortion. Mm-hmm. Up to that point. Uh, like that's, 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 or abortion up to the point of birth. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty bad. Right. But as far as the infanticide thing, um, that's a little bit blown out of proportion and it has been sort of cleaned up. Sure. Um,
2: the thing I don't like about this, um, the, the California Penal Code there, um, Murder is the unlawful killing of a human being or a fetus with malice aforethought. How do you define that? That's the problem. And how do you prove that there is malice? Because that is incredibly subject to interpretation. This kind of gets down to hate crimes. Like a crime's a crime, no matter what, if you were racist, if you were screaming the N word at a black person because you didn't like them and killing them or you still killed somebody so the law is still the law in this regard. so i feel like the with malice afterthought um leaves a, a, a big gray area because now you could say it was negligent because you know how do you prove that she if she drowned a baby in a tub it doesn't matter if she was angry when she was doing it if it was accident a baby's still dead you can't make that victim whole anymore so like i said the malice afterthought i think just leaves a huge gray area that can really kind of muddy things up
0: so i think for for that particular wording because Mm. that is the that is the general california penal code as far as murder goes um so like i'm i don't know I haven't been tried for murder in the state of California, but I'm sure if you have a a like an act of passion where you you know kill somebody in the heat of the moment or something like that, I'm sure they take that into account. But that that wasn't with uh, you know you didn't put a lot of forethought into that. That was right. something that happened. So I'm sure that'll be taken into account. But again, yeah, I mean it it is still uh, it is still problematic, but. Um, a little bit less so than mm-hmm. a little bit less so than the original wording of the bill, anyway. Sure. Um, anything else you want to tap on there? Or do you kind of want to keep reading on? Uh, no. We can we can keep going. I don't. I don't think there was a whole lot more. Um, it has mm. different people talking about uh, lawyers' definitions and yeah. and different court rulings and and other stuff that kind of relates to and and goes around the topic but like that was that was really kind of the gist of it was the original wording and the original kind of uh shock factor of what was being put out for what the bill said and then the uh, the amending and kind of the the clarification that came after that to mm-hmm. uh, to kind of clean it up
2: okay so then i guess we'll just read uh kind of these last few paragraphs and we'll move on um The bill doesn't define what is meant by perinatal death. The Miami Standard reckons it is a fatality up to seven days after birth. Um, The University College London Hospital clinical lecturer in infertility and a leading voice on medical ethics, Dr. Francois Schenfeld, if I said that right, um, told Reuters, definition of perinatal death is stillbirth plus early neonatal deaths under seven days. Um, rather the bill seeks to protect parents from legal prosecution. If that perinatal death is a result of accidental causes. Um, I'm, I'm guessing pretty much everything after this, it's just kind of different definitions. Um, do you kind of want to wrap up on that then?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good part to, uh, a good point to wrap on it. Like, so like the, if something happens accidentally, then they don't want the parents to be, uh, to face jail time, like sure. obviously, if it's if it's deliberate negligence, if it's mm. you know actual killing a kid or something uh, rivalling that, then it's it's going to be it's going to be tried under under California Penal Code, and and they're going to be held re- held responsible for their actions or or inactions. Like it's, uh, and I don't. I don't know that this was necessarily necessary. Like our, our parents regularly, uh, tried and, and punished for, you know, a birth related complication Mm
1: -hmm. within
0: a week after birth. I'm not sure that this was, I don't know that that it was necessary to begin with. So like they probably could have avoided a lot of that and, uh, not done this at all right okay all right um so i guess let's stop the share real quick
2: um let's kind of do a real quick cliff's notes about this bill so this was put into effect in early april and the right had kind of rejected it said it was infanticide because it was basically worded in a way that would allow people to Essentially, kill their kid about a well leave the gray area that would allow people to essentially kill their kid a week or two after the child was born. Is that about right initially, and then they kind of worded it better?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's kind <clears> of, <throat> or at least that was the that was the concern. Like the the wording was incredibly, um, it was incredibly unclear. Like it it didn't it didn't make a real specific case for what it was saying, and so the fact that it was left up to potential interpretation was very problematic and and that's where that's where a lot of the big argument from the right came was look there's like this is just opening the door to basically you've got a week to to decide if you want to murder a kid or not and uh like i said that that, that, that's that's uh an over dramatization but to some effect, that's sort of what the what the big concern was because of the way it was worded, because of the the lack of clarity in wording, and then and then they came back and they fixed it. Okay, all right.
2: Well, then I guess that kind of wraps that. Then so um, we'll keep moving on here, and let me exit out of this. Um, so this was from the BMC women's health, um, biomedical central understanding why women seek abortion in the U S. Um, God oh, damn it. I shouldn't have closed that bill, but I, I, we DM'd it. Um, all this stuff is going to be linked in the show notes so that way, if anybody wants to read it and, you know, just, just verify for yourself, this is kind of us editorializing on a lot of this stuff. So this is just, once again, our thoughts surrounding this, and then also laying out the things as we see it. So um this study was about understanding why women seek abortions in the US. So we're just going to kind of read the background and the res- or the uh, conclusions and the results and just kind of shoot the shit from there. So um under the background we like I said we're just going to read the abstract. I don't want to Read through the study. I do that on plenty of other podcasts and, you know, it it gets a little dry. (laughs) Just listen to people drone on through science. Um, The current political climate with regards to abortion in the U.S., along with economic recession, may be affecting women's reasons for seeking abortion, warranting a new investigation into the reasons why women seek abortions. Um, The results were... Women's reasons for seeking abortion fell into 11 broad themes. The predominant themes identified as reasons for seeking abortion included financial reasons, which made up 40%, timing, which made up 36%, partner-related issues, or partner-related reasons, 31%, and the need to focus on other children, 29%. Most women reported multiple reasons for seeking an abortion crossing over several themes, 64%, and using mixed effects, um, multivariate, logistic regression analyses we identified the social and demographic predictors of the predominant themes women gave for seeking abortion um i think that does mostly sum it up because most of the time i think the arguments for abortion are i'm not ready for this well as we kind of laid out in the beginning of the show if you're not ready for it then you should probably abstain or find a way to safely have sex which is not hard in 2022 (laughs) and um in just a small side tangent, I don't think the um, some of the birth control stuff is really that good for women because you have to think um, evolutionarily where these hormones and the reasons why women give birth are so ingrained in our bodies that if you shut that off, we really don't know what the long term consequences are because this is like a natural process, and I know it's appeal to nature, but um, you know, this has only been something that's been about for the last 70 years. We don't know the long-term consequences of this. So am I telling people not to take birth control? No, but I'm just saying we don't know long-term consequences of this. This is a very, very new phenomena, and I don't think a lot of women understand when they get older what the downstream consequences of disabling their um, reproductive, you know, organs is going to be.
0: I mean... I would, I would argue that at this point, we don't have good statistical scientific data on what that is like Mm -hmm. the, the birth control generation hasn't hit menopause yet. So like, what does that do to, Mm -hmm. you know, in your mid to late forties and fifties and, and, and all of that, like, that's, that's going to be kind of a, uh, it's probably going to be kind of a scary and concerning thing for for women's health going forward, um, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, and then now we've got IUDs and and all of this other stuff. Uh, like, there's a lot of stuff that's being done um, that's unnatural mm-hmm. for a woman's body, and we have no idea what it does. And there there have been arguments like uh, some women say that that it's hard to to get on some of that stuff. I I don't I don't know about that. I, mm-hmm. I haven't had a need for birth control so um i don't i don't know everybody everybody that i've been around who wanted to get on it just got on it so i yeah. don't i don't understand that argument uh but it, it, it is one that's made regularly so so maybe there is some validity to it but yeah i mean the all of these uh all of these primary reasons financial timing partner other children like it's all uh, personal decision. Like mm-hmm. th- that's, a, that's, a, that's a choice that the, the mother and or uh, father are making.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, in, in my experience as well, women who wanted to get birth control of any kind of sort, including the shot or the, uh, to, to put it bluntly, the thing that gets shoved up in you, these things are pretty readily available. And once again, I'm not a doctor. Go do what you want. If you think you need to do that, then that's between you and your doctor. I'm nobody to tell anybody to do anything. But uh, I'm just asking the question, what are the long-term effects of this? I don't know. I've never heard anybody lay out a clear case of what it actually does in the long term, and I don't think we're going to know for a long time. And obviously, it's difficult to have an RCT on what long-term birth control was. You know, what do you do? Give somebody a sugar pill every day for 20 years, and then you do the shot, and then you do the thing that goes into the uterus or whatever. How, how do you do that? You, you can't really. You just kind of have to do um, what they would call nutrition. A um, epidemiological study where basically you take a whole bunch of different cohorts and groups of people and they self-report what their symptoms were or you run blood tests or whatever on those people after 20 years and you kind of have to take them at their word that's going to be really the only way you're able to get aggregate data on something like this um any other thoughts on the results or the reasons or do you want to read the conclusions
0: uh yeah we can go on we can move on to the conclusions.
2: Cool. Um, Study findings demonstrate that the reasons women seek abortion are complex and interrelated, similar to those found in previous studies. While some women stated the only one factor that contributed to their desire to terminate their pregnancies, um, others pointed to a myriad of factors that cumulatively resulted in their seeking abortion. As indicated by the differences we observed among women's reasons by individual characteristics, women seek abortion for reasons related to their circumstances, including their socioeconomic status, age, health, parity, and marital status it is important that policymakers consider women's motivations for choosing abortion as decisions to support or oppose such legislation that could have profound effects on health, socioeconomic outcomes, and life trajectories of women facing unwanted pregnancies. So once again, we will leave this kind of in the show notes for everyone to read. But even with this, you kind of see they worded it in a way that favors abortion right it it favors the legislation of abortion because we're putting it back to reproductive health where it's like there's a grain of truth to it because yes getting pregnant could affect your health but once again you still have to make the decision to get pregnant right the choice is long before you have the child you make the choice to sleep with somebody and then ultimately get pregnant and i know people want to say oh well men choose to do what they do right to not go deep into the physiology, obviously under everyone understands what happens, but you still chose to sleep with that person. So it's kind of funny that they, they always put it to reproductive choice and health, not, you know, you made the choice to get pregnant. Now you have to deal with the consequences of that we never empower people with decision prior to the actual pregnancy, because that's when you have the greatest choices to not sleep with somebody or to sleep with somebody that's the choice. It's not whether or not to kill a baby or not. And I know right here I'm kind of being, I don't want to say semantic, but I do believe it's killing a child. So once again, the choice comes long before you ever get pregnant. The choice is to sleep with somebody or not. And that's the way I think it needs to be framed. Because when you just say it's killing a baby, then there's going to be a side of people who just are immediately shut off. Well, once again, in my opinion, the choice is to sleep with somebody or to not.
0: Right, and... and. Like nowhere in the statistics, <clears throat> excuse me, nowhere in the statistics does it say anything about uh, the the woman's health. Uh, like not. Okay, so it does say that it says women's health, but it doesn't say anything about like um, the pregnancy creating a, a mortality issue. does it say anything about rape or extenuating circumstances such as that, like, like we talked about it at the top end of the show, like as you dig through these different studies and you look more and more at these numbers and the statistics of all of these women who are polled on this stuff and, and asked about this, the, the numbers for the biggest argument that the pro-choice crowd tend to make are ridiculously low like almost Mm. almost non-existent but that's that is always the biggest argument like anytime you talk about having a abortion ban of any level it doesn't matter if it's 18 weeks or 20 weeks or whatever it is it could be a an incredibly lax abortion ban anything that's less than up to the day of birth is it is a attack on women's reproductive rights It's an attack on women's health, and there's always the argument, what about the woman who is potentially going to die? What about the woman who got raped? Well, uh, those are incredibly rare, incredibly rare to the point of negligible as far as statistics go. Right. Yeah,
2: and that seems to be the overarching theme is that you use these exceptions to make your rule. It's not the exceptions don't prove the rule, right? it's that you could use the rape, the non-viable pregnancies to push your point into the conversation. And a lot of people get lost in that nuance. But um, like I said, it's something that I'm not 100% comfortable with, but I believe if you were raped or if the pregnancy is not viable, that the mother's life takes agency over the child's life because you are a fully sentient being at that point. So you shouldn't have to die because your pregnancy is no longer viable. But as you just said, those are such a small percentage of abortions that we should just say, well, it's you know, let the good times roll with all the other ones because people don't want to be responsible for their
0: actions. Um, and something okay. that something that gets widely ignored that was actually uh, so there's a Newsweek article where the author of the Mississippi abortion bill mm-hmm. talked about the reasoning for why the bill was worded the way that it was, and somewhere in the 12 to 18 week and up range is where abortion is actually more dangerous for the mother. But nobody talks about that. Like that there is there is a serious health risk to the mother
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the situation of an abortion. Right. Uh especially once you start to hit certain thresholds in a pregnancy. So mm-hmm. why isn't why isn't a an abortion ban on anything Twelve weeks and up. Why isn't that considered women's health? Because statistically, that's when a woman is more likely to have adverse effects from having an abortion. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, that's actually a really good point, and I don't think a lot of people hit on
0: that at all. Um, I mean, it- like statistically, that's a you have a much higher chance of having something bad happen having the abortion than of the baby causing you to die, or have right. like you know like that's the abortion is causing more problems for women's health than carrying the child to term wow yeah i i've
2: i've actually never heard that before but it completely makes sense and i think that's something that like nobody considers um so is there anything else you kind of want to add on there do you want to go through this last article and we'll uh rock and roll yeah let's knock it out cool all right so let's get back up to here um we won't read through that protection act i think that was uh, the one abortion law in alabama or something like that um, people can look into that if, if they want so this is from uh, gutmatcher.org and um they said abortion is a common experience for u.s women despite dramatic declines in rates um, rates of abortion have declined among all groups of women but very uh, very considerably between them um Nearly one in four women in the United States, 23.7%, will have an abortion by age 45, according to a new analysis by Gutmatcher Institute researchers Rachel Jones and Jenna German just published an American Journal of Public Health. Um, By age 20, 4.6% of women will have had an abortion, and 19% will have done so by age 30. Um, Despite recent declines in abortion, it is still a common procedure, and nearly one in four U.S. women will have an abortion in her lifetime. Um, this is the lead author of the analysis. Um, anything to add to those first two kind of paragraphs? That's a scary step. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I have some, uh, social implicate or, um, some ideas surrounding the social implications of that, but, um, we'll kind of touch on that after this next paragraph, we won't roll through this whole, whole article because, um, it, it does a little bit of deep dive. And once again, we'll just leave this in the show notes for other people to kind of make up their mind and read through it. So, um. I actually didn't know a lot of this before I read this. And it's interesting and it's good, but it's, you know, still. Bad. So between 2008 and 2014, the overall U.S. abortion rate declined by 25%, from 19.4% to 14.6 abortions per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44. Key data points that may help explain this decline, including trends in unintended pregnancy, are not yet available for this time period. However, the available information suggests that improvements in contraceptive use, particularly among women aged 20 to 24, Who account for one third of unintended pregnancies in the United States were an important driver behind the decline. Abortion rates declined among all demographic groups from 2008 to 2014, but the declines varied widely uh, or widely by group. So um, it's interesting that they brought up the age 20, 24. What is everybody doing when they're age 20, 24? They're in college. They're partying. They're just starting to hit their career. So what do you think typically happens? And if you understand anything about peak fertility in women is that they're most fertile in those ages. So when you think back, and I always harken it back to kind of our ancestral past, um, women needed to be very, very fertile and very, very beautiful around those ages. So that way they could get a man who's going to provide the most provision and protection around those ages. So because these women are in such an advantageous position at this point in their life, they're going to disproportionately, abort around that age, because that's when they get the most attention is at the ages of 20 to 24. So it's very interesting that um, they're talking about this right here, because once again, this is when everybody's out to college, everybody's partying. They just started their career. They're most social, 21 years old, you got drinking and partying. So the world really opens up to you when you're age 21 to 24. And also women are most sexually advantageous at this point because that's when they hit about their peak in their beauty. Um, when you look at um, what men prefer typically is that they want a woman aged 20 to 24.
0: Okay, so I'm, I'm going to throw something at you that you may not know that, that does not get included in any of these numbers. Um, also, during that time frame, the 2008 to 2014 neighborhood, uh, there was a kind of a a, I don't know if rejection of the Obama presidency is the right term terminology for it, but there were a, a number of red states during that time that put uh, almost wholesale abortion bans in place. I know like Kentucky had one, uh, I think South Dakota had one. I, I'm trying to remember. It w- it was a handful of states, and and a lot of them were. Uh, poor southern states that tend to have high abortion numbers so -hmm. like kentucky at the time when they put that abortion ban in that it closed every abortion clinic in the state of kentucky except for one that continued to fight for the entirety of the abortion ban they never closed but they also i don't believe were ever allowed to actually perform abortions during that time Um, and then in the waning years of the Obama administration and here over the last four years or so as things have as society and the culture has continued to move more progressive, a lot of those a lot of those bands have kind of gone by the wayside or been removed or, or been changed to where they're not wholesale bands. So so that that also is something that accounts for that statistical drop in abortion rates during that time. Is there was a lot of that going on, so mm-hmm. uh, it, it is. And I I think it's important to point that out. It like I said, it's not included in 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 the article, but but it is something to to take into account.
2: Sure. Um, so for the la- for the first time in two decades, the abortion rate declined among women whose family income was less than one hundred percent of the federal poverty level um, $19,790 for a family of three in 2014. And obviously if you take that to today, I'm sure the, uh, poverty level, um, Per income is probably a lot higher. (laughs) However, the abortion rate among poor women remains the highest of all groups examined in the study at 36.6 abortions per 1,000 of women of reproductive age. Abortion has become increasingly concentrated among poor women who accounted for 49% of patients in 2014. So, this kind of goes back to a point that we've hit on actually throughout the whole podcast is that, um, Women who are typically disadvantaged feel that they can't have a pregnancy. They should be, they shouldn't carry it to term because they're not going to be able to care for the child. But once again, this comes back to personal responsibility. If you're not in the financial situation to have a child, you should abstain or practice safe sex because you know, you're not in the position to care for that child. So it's probably best if you just keep your freaking legs shut. And if you're a guy, if you're not ready to pay for a child, don't, you know, don't do that stuff.
0: <laughs> just, just be careful, man. You know. Well, um, and then another argument that tends to get made in relation to the the low income aspect of this is that the women who are in the higher income brackets and uh, more more economically well off, they have access to better health care, better health services, the uh, the the different. Uh, birth controls and contraceptives and everything else that and like the argument is made that that the uh that the lower income women don't have access to that um i i don't know where you grew up i grew up in a very poor part of kentucky and the uh the health clinic did all that stuff for free (laughs) you know it's not there was no lack of access yeah. I grew up, like I said, uh, when we were
2: shooting the ship on the, uh, before we start recording rural Pennsylvania and, uh, right outside New Kensington, which, uh, is a very, very poor area. Um, you know, people always used to say how many people would get shot in a day there. So yeah, it was, it, it was pretty rough. Um, I guess, um, here's just that graph. Um, it, it just says abortion is increasingly concentrated among poor women. Um, 26% of, uh, women, I believe, um, At 26% of women will have had an abortion at one to two times the federal poverty level. And then um, in 2014, um, about half of women below the federal poverty level will have an abortion. Um, We'll just kind of read these last two paragraphs unless uh, you feel it necessary to continue on. But um, in the same year, women aged 20 to 24 accounted for the largest proportion of abortions, 34%. And at the highest abortion rate, 28 per 1,000 women in this age group among all age groups studied. Women aged 25 to 29 had the second highest rate at 22.8 per 1,000. In 2014, adolescents aged 15 to 19 accounted for just 12% of all abortions. Um, The abortion rate among adolescents declined 46% between 2008 and 2014, the steepest decline of any demographic group over this period. Uh, anything to add there?
0: No. Uh, I mean, that's, cool. I guess that's good uh, <laughs> that it's not happening in teenagers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you would think if parents were more involved then that percentage would be zero. And, you know, obviously in an ideal world, it would be zero, but it's just, you're not going to catch everything. Um, I guess we could probably close out here because this just kind of gets into the uh, different race and demographics. Um, if you just kind of want to real quick look here abortion rates continue to vary by race and ethnicity lack of access to health insurance and health care plays a role as do racism and discrimination uh, that's seems pretty arbitrary to me it's going to be hard to kind of hammer that down um abortions per 1000 age 15 to 44 so black non-hispanic women have the uh, highest rate per 1000 of abortion um, white non-hispanic have the lowest um it, just kind of take from that what you will I don't really have much to add there. Um, you could make an argument about welfare, stuff like that. I just, once again, you would have to pull so much data and kind of pull a lot of strings to kind of get to um, any good conclusion from that. And even then, uh, I think there's a lot more at play than kind of what we're seeing there. Um, do you have anything to add there or do
0: you kind of want to wrap? No, I think we're I think we're good. Like, the, there's not a lot. <clears throat> I don't think there's a lot to add on the... Uh, the ethnicity side of it, I, I think that's pretty understood. <laughs> like, um, yeah. and I think, at least for people like in our circles, we we know why that is. Like, that's that's a that's a pretty nefarious, deliberate thing. Um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. We 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 don't need to go into uh, the way that pretty much everything the government has done for the past. Uh, Well, since the civil rights movement was actually a uh, a negative for the African-American community.
2: Right. Yeah, especially introducing drugs into homes and systematically removing fathers. And as we could see, that's detrimental to anybody. And it's not just removing fathers. While I do believe that's incredibly detrimental and probably the biggest issue in America today, um, even single father homes still struggle raising children just because we're not built to raise children. You know by ourselves men and women work complementary to each other it's not like men are better than raising um children than women we both have specific things that we're going to be good at um, a masculine role model is necessary and a feminine role model is going to be necessary for raising good children so it's very very important that you know you have both parents in the house growing up together and i, I don't understand how that's even debatable um, how people draw these conclusions say that oh it's fine for children to be raised by single mothers or single fathers it, it we should always make sure that we do our best to make sure that children have both parents in the household uh, i don't see that as a controversial statement some people do i personally don't um yeah it, it's it's very nefarious that we've done a lot to demonize masculinity over the last you know however long in this country um Justin, you got anything to add or, you know, do you want to do plugs and get out of here?
0: Oh, I think we, I think we pretty thoroughly covered it. Uh, I mean, for, for the depth and nuance that you have with conversation like this, um, because there are a lot of statistics and there are a lot of things that really get glossed over, especially when you look at the, like the national scale of the conversation that's had and the way it gets propagandized and everything. Um, like, I think we kind of dug into the, the meat of it and, and we, we got to talk about some of the different bills that have come out over the last year or the, I mean, not year, but the last several months and, and kind of the way those have been interpreted and, and thrown into the conversation. So I, I think it was a pretty thorough covering of it. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a personal choice and it's a personal responsibility and I, it's something that, um, Something that I do think needs to be emphasized more is like, as a man, you have just as much of a personal responsibility in that as the woman does. Like she's the one that's going to end up with the baby, but uh, you're the one that puts it there. So like, I mean, you know, my my dad always told me, you know, don't stick your dick in anything. You're not comfortable with having a kid with, um, mm-hmm. you know, that should really go into account to the decision-making that, guys make like if you did it then you're on the hook for that shit too so better better decision making on guys part would go a long way as well
2: yeah yeah and i 100 agree is that um you know as a man if you knock a woman up you are responsible for that child that is a moral obligation due to your lack of Caution or lack of practicing safe sex for women as well. You need to vet men very, very thoroughly and make sure that the man you're sleeping with is going to be capable of raising a child. If he's not, then don't sleep with him. Simple as that. I mean, people want to have their cake and eat it too. Well, unfortunately, there are consequences for the things that you do. So, and I I guess the same deal goes for men vet women very thoroughly before you start sleeping with them. You know, you can do the running around, whoring around, but you know, it may catch up to you at some point or another. So you should be very, very careful about who you're doing this shit with.
0: I had somebody in a Twitter argument say that that uh, some men would put the condom on and then, like, mid-sex, take the condom off. Like, all right, like, why are you having sex with that guy to begin with? Like, mm-hmm. if you don't trust him to keep it on, then maybe you shouldn't trust him to stick it in you at all.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, I completely agree. Um do you got any more closing thoughts or uh, plugs and we'll go? No,
0: I think that was a, a pretty terrible closing thought.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it, it serves the point of the podcast. Once again, just vet people. And I don't think abortion is a law issue. I think it's a cultural issue. and We need to just educate people that you're responsible for the consequences of your actions. And you should be very, very careful about who you're sticking your dick in or who you're allowing to
0: stick your dick in you. <laughs> So.
2: Justin, where can everybody find you and your podcast and what you're doing?
0: Yeah, I am the, the fact check this podcast. You can find me on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, uh, BitChute, Locals, and all the podcatchers. I put an episode out every Monday and Wednesday. And uh, every four weeks, I do a Tuesday night live stream. So the way my work schedule goes, I'm off four weeks, four Tuesdays in a row. And then I work four Tuesdays in a row. So on the Tuesdays that I'm off, I do a live stream with a random assortment of guests. And we talk about all kinds of crazy fun stuff. So if you happen to be available on a Tuesday night, when we're doing that, tune in and check it out. We have a lot of fun.
2: Cool. All right. Well, uh, hopefully this is informative for everybody. Um, I will put all the links in the show notes. I'm very, very bad at telling people to subscribe. So make sure you subscribe to everywhere you can subscribe to um, and until next time, everybody, uh, make sure you get your supplements from MaxSledge.com. Metovic 10 checkout to get you all jacked and tan. And uh, until next time, everybody, take care.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.